I want to give a shout out just before I get into the message today. I want to give a shout out to all of those this past week. We had 21 people, 11 on Thursday and another 10 on Saturday that went down south and again helped pack groceries at Church SQR and then got them out to those in need that are still struggling to get up after Hurricane Ian. So listen, we are, we love Sundays. And Sundays is important. It's so good for us to be together and hear the word. And at the same time, we're bigger than Sunday, reaching out to those in need. And so thank you for doing that. Tomorrow night, we have our small groups here. And so, so much going on. So jump in, be a part. Uh, We're so glad that we get to do church together. We experience church on Sunday, but then we do church. We are the church throughout the week. Amen. Well, let's pray as we get into this message today, Return of the King series, and I'm going to minister a message entitled, Here Comes the Bride. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have today to hear your word. And Jesus, as I minister today, the very words that you spoke to the seven churches help us to hear these words afresh and anew, that we could be the church that you've called us to be. May your words bring life. May they quicken us. May they instruct us. May they help us and empower us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Revelation, in the very beginning, has something that Jesus says to seven different churches. Now, we know also that Scripture teaches us that the church is the bride of Christ, and he's coming back for his bride. And in these chapters in Revelation, Jesus gives some instructions to his bride. Man, today there is so much preparation that goes into a wedding, especially When it comes to preparing the bride, listen, we want to be a bride ready for her groom as the church. So let's look at the words of Jesus today. However, just before we look at the words that Jesus spoke, I want to take you back and just, I want to finish something and show you something that I, um, uh, ministered on last week when we came to signs of the time I want to show you something and I need to look something up here real quick because I forgot something but I can pull it up real quick and I need to pull it up because I want to share this with you oops oops did it the wrong way just give me a minute here because this is important and in my hurry this morning when I left my house oh but I got it I knew I could pull it up here real quick I got it for you okay So let me pull this up because i got to read you something. But last week, we talked about, and it was week three of Signs of the Time, and we talked about the increase of wickedness being one of those signs. And Jesus said this, Matthew 24, 3. It says, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, 
his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal the end of the or what sign will signal your return in the end of the world? And then he goes on, Jesus gives him a lot of signs and he finishes up by saying this in verse 10 and 11 of Matthew 24. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now clearly, Jesus' words teach us this. One of the signs of Jesus' return is the increase of wickedness. People will hate the truth and hate those who side with the truth. Remember, I shared with you last week, and if you want to look this up, you can look it up through the Christian Post. But I shared with you about a young man named Christian Perez, who was a graduate at the University of Baja California School of Medicine and Psychology. He was the valedictorian, therefore he got to give got to give the speech at graduation. And in his speech, he espoused and shared his value of the family, the nuclear family, mom, dad, family, and then also the sanctity of life. And when he expressed those values and his concern about the lack of valuing the family and the sanctity of life students and professors got up and walked out but they didn't just get up and walk out that would be hating what you said they hated him then they wrote a manifesto asking the college to declare his speech hate speech they take away his license take away all the merits he had received and let take away his ability to then be a psychologist now thank god he fought back and he won his right but you see that's not just hating what he said that's hating him and i want to say this this is why i brought this back up again today because i want you to understand america has made some poor decisions as a nation. And it is getting darker in that as a nation, America continues as a whole, as a nation, to walk away from godly values. In fact, it's no longer just, well, we disagree and we should have a right to abortion. It's like, I'm going to do it and I hate you if you won't let me. I mean, there are people who are carrying signs that said, I'm going to have more abortions. Just to prove to you. And so, really, there was a day that our nation held up, even though she's never been, America has never been what you would truly define a Christian nation. But she was a nation that espoused Christian values, that held up Christian, they call them Judeo-Christian values, the truths that are found in the word. And you say, wow, where's America at? She's really on a moral decline. We need to pray for our nation, and we need to be a bright and shining light. But in the light of that, too, I wanted to read to you this prophecy that I received from a friend, a pastor friend of mine, and this prophecy is from a, a wonderful man of God, Jim LaFoon. But I thought you would enjoy this, 
and I want you to believe for what he says here. It, and this is just in June that the Lord gave Jim LaFoon this vision. On June 9th, 2022, the Lord gave me a powerful vision about the United States of America. He continued to speak to me over the next 48 hours. That evening, I was deeply burdened for our country and was doing my best to battle against an overwhelming sense of despair. I was heartbroken over the ongoing polarization and division, and I was praying for a solution. Then I saw Jesus. He was walking across America, and his tears were falling on the parched ground. The landscape looked like a spiritual version of the 1930s Dust Bowl. I could not see his face clearly, but as I drew closer, the Holy Spirit focused my vision on his feet. They were covered with a thick coating of dust. Jesus began to speak to me, and this was the essence of what he said. Jim, none of this took my father and I by surprise. We knew that faith would die in the old world. It was our plan all along to plan it anew in the new world. We chose to use America to reach the world. We have sent revival after revival to your shores. No army or people could ever have destroyed America. Only Americans could destroy America. And that is what has happened. With these words ringing in my ears, Jesus stopped and looked up into heaven. He began to pray, please, Father, one more time, one more time, one more time. Then I realized he was asking his father to send another revival from heaven. His petitions seemed to go on endlessly, and yet he never lost his passion. Finally, the father spoke from heaven. Okay, one last time. Mm, I believe that for America. I believe that there is going to be one last great Revival before Jesus returns. You see, what we do when there's an increase of wickedness, our response to the increase of wickedness is to be empowered by His Spirit. We want to rescue everyone we can before Jesus returns. Now, let's get to some wedding preparations today. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the word revelation literally comes from the Greek word apocalypse, and it means an unveiling. It means to uncover. It means or to reveal. It's the disclosure of truth. That's why it's called revelation. Now, I heard one minister say, well, it was a revelation only to John. The rest of us don't get this book. But... There are many things in this book that you really have to study out, but I want to talk to you as the church today, as his bride, and I want to look at what Jesus had to say. Now, 
just a little bit about the author. John is the author of the book of Revelation. He was a disciple of Jesus. And at this time, he has been exiled to this island of Patmos. It's right off the coast of Greece, what we would call Greece today. And the, the emperor at that time put him out there for his faith. And at this time, history tells us that John is the only disciple that followed Jesus that is still living. His great influence in the church. The emperor doesn't like him, so he exiles him. And then what, what happens when he exiles him? Listen, you can never exile God from doing what he wants to do. And Jesus shows up and gives him the book of Revelation, tells him what is about to happen. Wow. And so really there are six major events in Revelation. And when I finish up this series, I'm going to go through those events quickly. In fact, the, the final message, and it'll be the next message I do. Uh, Jeff and I are going to be out of town next week. We're celebrating our anniversary. We'll be in Costa Rica. Pastor Larry will be here next week. But the following week, October 30, I'm going to wrap this series up with a message entitled, The End We Win. And so we'll look at Revelation. But let's first look at the rapture of the church, Revelation chapter 4. And then I want to go back to what he said to the churches. Revelation 4.1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Now, Many scholars, and I believe this to be accurate also, that right here in Revelation 4, we see the rapture or the catching away of the church. Jesus coming after his bride, and he comes for his bride before the tribulation happens. In chapters 2 and 3, you see the church mentioned 18 times after that. The only occurrence is later on in 19 when he's describing the marriage feast of the Lamb. The church is not mentioned again, and I believe because she is not in the rapture. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to marry some guy that said, well, I'm going to take you, but first I'm going to put you through hell. <laughs> just saying. Anyway, just my personal thoughts about this. Listen, let's, let's get ready. Let's be a bride ready. Revelation, let's go back to Revelation 1, and let's see what Jesus said to his church to get them ready for what was going to happen in chapter 4. Revelation 1, 4, it says, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. King of kings, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Now, John based on what Jesus said to him, writes letters from Jesus to seven churches. Those were seven local churches, just like in Asia Minor, which again, today, that would be Turkey. And you can see how in that prophecy, Jesus said the faith died in the old world. Mm -hmm. Faith died. In other words, um, uh, in Turkey now, you would not have these seven vibrant churches like you did then. But they were seven individual local churches. And Jesus uh, was 
ministering or saying things to those churches just like he would write a letter to Faith Life Church. And you know, Revelation is also known not only as the revelation from Jesus, but the revelation or the revealing of who Jesus is. So could we just take a moment here and realize how valuable the local church is to Jesus? He spoke to seven of them. And he said, write it down because these words will be valuable for every local church before I come. Jesus values the gathering of the church together. He loves his church. He died for his church. We wouldn't be in existence except that he came for us. And he wants us to be his bride ready. So let's look at quickly the seven things that Jesus said to the seven churches. First, number one, the church at Ephesus. And here's what he said to them. You haven't given up. Return to your first love. Not only did Jesus recognize what they were doing well, but then he said, hey, if you want to be ready, if you want to be a bride prepared, then return to your first love. Look at Revelations 2-3 to the Ephesus church. He says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Come on, I love that. That Jesus, before he even tells them what they need to do, he tells them, wow, you have patiently suffered for me. Can I just put it this way? There's so much to say about the value of simply staying in the game, refusing to quit. I'm, I'm at the place now in my life in ministry where I am enjoying the fruit of faithfulness. Because I didn't quit. And sometimes, can I just tell you, I wanted to quit. I threw a couple tantrums asking, can't I quit? Why can't I quit? Come on. But in the end, I said, Lord, I'm not going to quit. I may not do everything right, and I didn't do everything right. But I'm going to stay in the game. And I'm going to trust you. And I tell you what, there is a reward. Then he goes on, though, <coughs> and he says this to the church at Ephesus, Revelation 2, 4. He said, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He said, wow, you're, you're going to lose some things if you don't shine up. And he said, the way you can shine up and get ready, the way you're going to prepare to be my church is you need to return to your first love. All of us will do well to heed this admonition from Jesus. Return to your first love. Come on, those of you that are married, you know what it was like when you first met them? I know people here at the church were concerned about Pastor Jane because I just lost it when I fell in love with Jeff. They're like, did you see Pastor Jane, how she's acting? First love. I remember when I came to Jesus, 
13-year-old junior high school student making a mess of my life, as much as a 13-year-old can. School, skipping school, smoking. Thank God there weren't a lot of drugs that I had access to. I'd have probably done something stupid there. I stole. Hey, now this is going to date me. Some of you younger folks won't even know what this is, but how many of you know, remember the store Woolworths? Uh-oh. I stole from Woolworths. Because she dared me to. My cohort in crime, Cindy McGee, she dared me, so I stole. Anything to fill this void, to be accepted, to be loved. But then my parents, because I was misbehaving so much, as I said before, I was always leading people to Jesus. I led my family back to church because my dad said, we got to get this kid in church. So I led them back to Jesus. But I walked the aisle of that church, small little church, not even as big as we are, and and I met Jesus Christ. I fell in love with him. I lost my cohort in crime because she still wanted to commit crime, and I didn't. And I remember her trying to embarrass me because I started carrying my Bible to school. And she called, now, come on, you're in junior high. Do you know how embarrassing this can be? Now I'm sitting all by myself because I lost every friend I had. And across the lunchroom, she calls out the cafeteria, Hey, Jane, what's that book you got there? Thinking that it was going to embarrass me. But there was something inside of me. Jesus. I was so in love with him. And before I knew what I was doing, I held that book up and I said, It's my Bible. And she got embarrassed. Because she was so taken aback that I was so bold. Now, I didn't always respond like that. But in that moment, Jesus helped me. Come on. Remember your first love as a church. Come on, church. Faith, let's remember. Let's be passionate about our love for Jesus and for each other. Number two, the church at Smyrna. He said, remain faithful. Revelation 2.10, he said, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I, I love it. He said, listen, the enemy's after you. I want to tell you, folks, the enemy's after the church. He doesn't love us. But also, can I say this, even in light of what I said about America in the beginning, we are still the freest nation when it comes to preaching the gospel. We've got some things we need to face, but there are believers today throughout the world who are literally putting their life on the line by showing up at an underground church. They could lose everything. Mm. But Jesus said, listen, I know it's tough down there, But you remain faithful to me. And then he gives a promise. The crown of life is for those who remain full of faith in him. How do you remain faithful? Keep your faith in Jesus. And here at Faith Life Church, we're going to keep fanning your faith. And teach you how to live by faith. That's why coming to church. That's why he said, as the days grow closer to my return, you need to gather more often. Make sure you're here because you need Jesus. 
to remain faithful in your faith in him. The church at Pergamon, number three. Here's what he said to the church at Pergamon. He said, reject doctrinal extremes. Come on, church, we need to listen to this. Here's what he said, Revelation 2, 14. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, he said two extremes here. Let me explain Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Uh, the Balaam is hyper-grace. Really, the two extremes here were hyper-grace and legalism. And he said reject both. Hyper-grace is you're good. Live like you want to live. Grace will cover it. No, grace is not for covering your sin. Grace is the power to overcome sin and to forgive you for the sin you already committed, not to empower you to keep sinning. That's an extreme of grace. It's not freedom, it's bondage. It's not really even extreme of grace. It's an extreme teaching about grace. But then he mentions the Nicolaitans. And, and, and these are the ones who, while they're hyper grace, these are hyper legalism, judgmental. If you don't know what you're doing wrong, come to church and we'll tell you. <laughs> Every Sunday. Come on, that would be a church pointing out what you did wrong and how you have to measure up, not that grace in God will help you measure up. Grace can be your sufficiency. And he told the church, reject both. Listen, we're going to stick with the truth of the word. We're going to stay with the word. We're not going to get over into hyper grace. We're not going to get over into legalism. We're going to believe for this church, faith life, that we're going to preach the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to minister truth. Now, I like what Pastor Chris Hodges says about the answer to both of these extremes. He says, truth without grace is mean. Mm -hmm. But grace without truth is meaningless. While grace and truth together are medicine. Wow. So you see, we're going to minister grace, but we're also going to minister the truth along with the grace. Amen. Now, number four is the church at Thyatira. And Jesus said this. I, I love this one. This is probably my favorite one. He said, you're improving. I don't know, but I, I just had fun reading that because I'm not there yet, but I just love to know that Jesus sees me, that I improved. Come on. He says, you're improving. Then he says, remove the impurity. Revelation 2.19, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all things. Well, as a church, may we constantly be improving in all things, and when we do, Jesus sees it. Now, now, why is that so important? Let me just speak to the value of that for a minute, and I know I've got to get all the way to seven here, but you have an accuser. 
who is constantly telling you all the things you didn't do, all the things you should have done, all the things you need to do. That's not Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, You improved. Woohoo! You gave more. See, the enemy would say, well, you're not tithing yet. Jesus said, look what you did. You're almost there. Keep going. I got you. He said, you're constantly improving. And then he says this. So he goes on, though. And he, verse 20, speaking to this church at Thyatira, he says, but I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Now, there is a thing in the Bible, and I certainly don't have time to teach on this today. It's known as the spirit of Jezebel. And Jezebel was a wicked queen married to Ahab. You remember her story with Elijah? But it's not Jezebel. It's that spirit, that demonic spirit. It wasn't necessarily this woman. It's the spirit of Jezebel that you're allowing to to be in your midst. And what is that? It's someone who has walked away from the truth, but you're still feeding on it, even when you know it's not the truth, but it sure feels good. Sounds good. Can't you say this? Remove the impurity. When someone walks away from truth, we must walk away from them. Now, can I tell you this? Jesus is writing to churches. And, and sometimes you may have to walk away. He didn't say, stand up and tell them they're not preaching the truth. No, just walk away. Let, let God deal with his... You just walk away. Okay, you, you just... Leave now. If you're in leadership or have the ability, like I would, remove the impurity. There was one, only one time in 24 years that Faith Life Church is being alive. I told somebody, "You do that again, I'm gonna call you up publicly, or you better leave." I'm gonna remove the impurity. You're not gonna teach that. That you're not gonna say that. You're not gonna do that. You're not gonna fleece my sheep. Go for, this is Jesus' sheep, and he's giving me stewardship. Go somewhere else. And it was a, a man that was doing some business thing and it, dealings. It wasn't right. He was presenting himself as something that he was not. And I said, called him in. Don't you do that anymore. Or I'll stand up in the pulpit and I'll call you out. I just thought I'd say that. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, y'all got afraid like I was going to point to you. You're all good. You're safe. I'll call you privately before I do it publicly. I promise. Y'all are nervous. I saw you get a little nervous there. I'm good, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Number five. You ready? Church at Sardis. He said, renew your purpose. Revelation 3, 2. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected, as an unexpected thief. Here's what he was saying to this church. He was saying to the whole church, have you forgotten your purpose? Church, we're called to make a difference in our community. 
the church is not a bless me club. We're a lighthouse, a place of hope and healing. I, I, I want to share with you, just I, I want to make sure you know, Faith Life Church, how we define our purpose and our mission statement. Can you put up that first slide? Do you have that slide? Can, can you put it up? Do you have it? I can't. I got to put on my glasses so I can see in the back. Do you have the slide? No, you don't. Okay. Um, oh, oh, you got it here. Okay, listen. We exist to introduce people to Jesus, teach them to live by faith in him, and become a difference maker. That's why we exist. First thing, we want to introduce them to Jesus. We want to teach them to live by faith. And then that, that's our purpose. And then wherever they are, if they need to be introduced, if they need to live by faith, we want to take people from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. That's how we do that. that, that what we do, our purpose and how we do it, our renewed purpose. That's what we're doing the trunk or treat. We're called to introduce people to Jesus. Now, number six, Philadelphia Church, they revered the word. Oh, I love this church. He said, Revelation 3, 8, I know, no, Revelation 3, 8, I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Folks, let's love the word, revere the word. Why? The word of God is life. It alone has the power to transform. Let's be a church that reveres the word. I'm telling you what, as long as I'm pastor, we're going to esteem God's word above all. Our feelings, our circumstance. Come on, that's why you come to church, because I'm going to go rah, rah, the word. Remember the word. We need church. Now, there's a blessing for those who hear and do the word. Number seven, we got to number seven. Laodicea, he said, repent, you are lukewarm. Mm. Revelation 3.15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Can, can I tell you, here's the problem with being lukewarm. You don't know you are. And it didn't happen overnight. Mm. And it usually begins when we stop living what we believe. Here's, here's the solution for lukewarm, being lukewarm. What we believe should be reflected in our walk, the way we do life. Want to make sure as a church we never get lukewarm? Then we need to practice what we preach. Can I tell you something? I'm going to tell myself. This morning, I was, you know, kind of got caught in traffic a little bit. It was a little later than I normally. Coming in just by a few minutes can make a difference on Bruce B. Downs. And so you know how everybody gets, if you're coming down Bruce B. Downs, everybody gets in that right-hand lane to turn bears. There's usually a line there. Well, I didn't get over as early as I should, but I thought, you know, I still have some time. I can slip in. And sure enough, there's plenty of room for me to pull right in. I put on my blinker, and I pulled in. But just as I pulled in, the guy, I guess he didn't want to let me in, and he sped up, and then he just blew his horn at me. So I didn't turn into the church. Because <laughs> I thought, if he's mad, I don't want him to be mad at the church. 
So I turned into the shopping center beforehand, let him go by, then I went back out. Just, you know, trying to be a blessing. And honestly, in everything we do, we need to live like we believe the truth. Let me wrap this up. Final scripture, we're going to close it out. Here comes the bride. Revelation 19, 6. This is over in Revelation, talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Folks, we are blessed because as his church, we have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come on, we are the bride of Christ. I know it's tough down here. I know there are challenges down here. But can I remind you, one day it will all be worth it. We are a bride in preparation. Let's prepare. Get ready for Jesus' return. Did you get something out of that this morning? I pray that you did.